Hi everyone. Um, today I've got Ke Jung here from Azoya to talk about cross-border e-commerce and especially about Tmall Global. Azoya is a e-commerce operator and they work across different categories from health, beauty to mum and baby. So I'm really glad to have you here today. Hi Ke. Uh, yeah, thank you. I'm, I'm very, uh, very honored to, to be here today. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so, I mean, I think what I really wanted to talk to you about was this piece of content that you guys put out a few month, months ago about cross-border e-commerce and specifically about how Tmall Global works for brands. So, first of all, why is Tmall Global one of the better places for brands to look at when they're looking at cross-border e-commerce? Um, yeah, I mean, there's a few reasons. I think one is... It's, it's the largest. I think market share wise, Tmall Global is probably, I don't know, 30% of the market. And then Kala is another like 25, 30%. And then JD is probably like 12%. Uh, this is just- Yeah, and forward. Alibaba, just at Alibaba now own Kala, right? So like- Right, right, Alibaba right. together is more than 50%. Yeah. yeah, but they're still separate platforms that I can, yep. I can get into that. A little bit a little bit later mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, but another reason is that you know Tmall results can be found in Taobao search results so you know if a Taobao user is searching for I don't know milk powder um, they'll see results from both Taobao and Tmall and so if you look at the combined ecosystem of Tmall and Taobao you know it's over 600 million users and I think mm -hmm. JD is like it's only like half of that or something like that um, and another reason is that it's probably has the broadest appeal amongst uh, consumers in China. I think JD by comparison has always struggled to sell to female consumers, you know, yep. started out mm -hmm. electronics platform. Um, but I mean, to sell fashion and beauty products on JD is very difficult. Mm -hmm. um, and then the third, the third platform Kaola, um, it's more of a, it's more of a direct buying relationship between mm -hmm. the platform and the supplier. So, so Kala will buy inventory from suppliers and then, you know, they buy it, a, a, they buy it at bulk and then the, they get a big discount and then they pass on the discount to the end consumer. Mm. Um, but they usually prefer to buy well-known brands um, that can drive immediate, you know, sales. Um, so for a platform, catering to third-party suppliers, I think Tmall is still the best option out there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. And in terms of Tmall, obviously Tmall has several different business models, um, which brands, and the ones that most brands have heard of is the flagship store, but they also have TDI, TOF. So can you give us a little bit of a sort of overview of the different options there are for brands? Yeah, so flagship store is basically B2C e-commerce in which the brand owns the store and then they hire a TP to run the store and do the marketing and customer service for them. So they're selling directly to Chinese consumers, but they're also, you know, responsible for the budget that goes into marketing and whatnot. Um, and TDI or Tmall Direct Import is kind of a smaller program in which Tmall will buy inventory directly from suppliers and then they'll sell, they're in charge of the sales and marketing 
So they have their own flagship store. Yeah. Uh, both mostly brand. Store. Yeah, yeah. Then um, you know, they do the discounting and the promotions for singles day and stuff like that. And then the, the goods are are parked in bonded warehouses um in, in Chinese free trade zones. Um but the downside of this program is that you know T Mall only wants um the more larger, popular, well-known brands because um, they can better predict demand, they can buy inventory in bulk um, and then sell it at a discount. Um, mm -hmm. So that's like the value add. They can provide really good prices to the mm -hmm. end customer. Mm -hmm. um, they don't want to take new brands that, you know, are still struggling to gain brand awareness. Um, yeah, so that's more of a B2B relationship and you know tps like us we're not we're not involved um, no. and then tof tmall overseas fulfillment is also kind of a new program in mm -hmm. that you know it's open to smaller uh, less well-known yeah. brands and they park their inventory in tmall or china warehouses in the us or europe yeah. and then um tmall is also responsible for the sales and marketing uh, i think they purchased a TP to handle these stores. Um, but basically they, they do the sales and marketing and then the goods are only shipped to the Chinese consumer after um, they, they make a purchase. Make purchase. Um, so it's kind of like an incubation program, but um, you know, to my knowledge, it's, it's still a relatively small program. Uh, TPs like us are not directly involved. So I don't know that much about it. Sure, sure. Um, but also as a brand, you would have to be willing to put your China marketing strategy into the hands of um, team or team as they're managing lots of different brands at the same time. And I think it depends on your goals as a brand. But if you're looking for long term uh, equity in the market, then you'd be much better off probably to go with someone like you guys where you're, you know, you're in the market and you're building a brand on a flagship store and, and you're actually got your own, uh, your own retail, like real estate as such. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, with TOF, you know, the brand has put in less resources, but they also have less control. Right. Yeah. Um, that's the main difference. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a balance, um, delicate balance that brands have to think about, I guess. Um, so for, for you, for like, if we, if we're talking about sort of the route that your clients, your, your, um, clients work on the biggest challenge for new brands on Tmall. So when you bring a, when you bring a brand on board, obviously you've had some that are already really established and then some that are, are newer. What would you say the biggest challenges that they face when they first start on Tmall? Um, I think it's just, it's hard to get brands to kind of accept the fact that the, the customer journey is just longer in China. Um, mm -hmm. And then I would say there's two main reasons. One is because there's a general distrust of new brands. And then two, you know, the ecosystems of the various internet platforms in China are just so dislocated and, and separate from each other. Uh, for example, mm -hmm. you can't put Tmall links on WeChat yeah. Um, but at the same time, social media is where a lot of the brand building is done, right? So mm -hmm. if you just mm -hmm. set up a store on Tmall and you don't do anything else, then you're not going to get much uh, in terms of sales. Um, and it takes it takes a while to do this. And then, you know, the advertising on social media platforms like 
WeChat and Weibo are they're they're less targeted, mm-hmm. um, and so it's kind of harder to see ROI because a lot of the advertising has, a lot of the budget has been shifted towards KOLs, um, and so it's kind of hard to see. You know, you're spending this much on marketing, but you know, only leading to, to this much in sales. Um, it's hard to see a direct. It's harder to see a direct correlation, which is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. I guess I guess that's where the appeal of um, live streaming comes in. If you if you do e-commerce live streaming, then the problem yeah. is the ROI is normally not great. Um, <laughs> it depends, but yeah. yeah, it's quite an expensive process, isn't it? Yeah, there's. Uh... Live streaming can be really complex. You can either do it yourself or you can hire an influencer. Um, you can either use small influencers or you can use large influencers. Uh, there's a lot of different platforms that have it now. In our experience, the only ones that drive a lot of sales are the, the very, very top influencers. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, they'll charge like 30% commission. They might require you to discount your product by, I don't know, another 30% or 40%. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so you can drive a lot of sales, but, you know, at the end of the day, is there a profit? And a lot of times it's, it's just no. Um, and then smaller influencers, I think, you know, they drive brand awareness, but um, it's harder for them to drive immediate sales. So I guess you have to look at it as more of a, like a long-term brand building type of play. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, you know, it's getting very competitive now. Everyone's trying to do it. And so mm. you have to, you know, how to figure out how to stand out. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And I think I think that is a way of looking at it. You know, if you go even with the big guys that, that will maybe shift quite a lot of product, is it is it a brand awareness play? Is it is it a, rather than just a because to, as you said, to make the ROI straight off off one live streaming is is very difficult considering all the different factors that you have to the, the commission yeah. and the um, discount. Yeah. So. I think, I think we, when we worked with um, Pixie, we, we worked with Austin Lee to do a live streaming yeah. session for Double 12. And then we also worked with, I think, another like 10 or 20 other small influencers at the same time um, to kind of like, you know, seed, seed the brand and then spread it around their respective networks. Um, so, you know, it, it immediately like you have, you know, a decent amount of sales, but a lot of the sales actually comes in the next month or two because mm-hmm. people, they might not make a purchase on that first glance, um, but they'll come back to it. And then, you know, you can use retargeting ads to target the same consumers yep. that browse the, the product page. Um, so, you know, you should give it a little bit more time um, before you, you, you know, follow quits. <laughs> Yeah, no, that makes sense. Look at the long tail, like look at over a certain right. period of time and, and see. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Um, and then, so obviously Timor, like it's the biggest and it is a great option. But if your brand is, say, a smaller brand, are there, what other options would you suggest for, for a brand coming into the market um, and looking yeah. to sort of get some traction but maybe not on Timor? The main... The main platforms would be um, WeChat and Xiaohongshu. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, we work with brands. We would typically launch a WeChat store and a Xiaohongshu store a couple months before the Tmall store mm-hmm. or maybe even earlier. Um, mm-hmm. But it's still, 
you know, there's still social media platforms. Um, and I think there's still, you know, reluctance uh, on the consumer's part to, to make actual purchases on these platforms. Mm-hmm. Um, so in our experience, you know, even if you launch on all three, WeChat, Shanghai, and Tmall, you know, 90% of the sales will come from Tmall. Yeah. Um, I think it's different for different categories and um, it's also different if you already have an existing official account with a lot of, you know, content on it. Um, yeah. So there are certain players that, you know, have run WeChat content um, for years and years before launching on Tmall. Um, and then, you know, these are the type of brands that are, it's easier to get sales because they already have existing yeah. number of followers. Mm-hmm. But if you're starting from scratch and you have zero followers and we chat on Su, it's, it's going to be really hard because it, it, you know, it's expensive to, to, to get followers on these platforms too. Um, mm. and it takes time. Yeah. Mm. Mm. But I mean, I guess, I guess something that brands think about even if they, if they're in it for the long term and they're, they're looking at you know, a reasonable horizon to, in terms of making a good return on investment, then it's all about initially building up that awareness, right? So as you said, some brands have been on WeChat for a while, just giving good quality content yeah. to their to their audience and, and really working out who your customer is, because that's something that we I always talk to people about. China's so enormous, you know, you've got to really dial down to work out what customer you're targeting because you know there's 1.3 billion people <laughs> there's a lot of yeah. options yeah um, i mean with marketing you should definitely be on these platforms anyways um yeah i think if you're expecting a lot of sales it's it can be tricky i mean there's always cases yeah. where something will go viral and then you know you all, all of a sudden see a spike in sales um but uh there's a lot of different things you can do in WeChat now. So there's things with, you know, private traffic. Um, now, you know, brands are starting to use WeChat work to set up their own WeChat um, private groups. Um, and then, you know, people are doing live streaming within WeChat and then using these groups to kind of facilitate discussions. Um, so, I mean, I think, I mean, both WeChat and Xiaomi they're launching more and more tools um, mm. for, for brands. So I think that's a good sign. Um, but, um, yeah, I mean, it's still, it's still difficult that the infrastructure is not in place. And then, you know, historically, Shaolong Su has had a lot of issues with logistics and supply chain. Um, so, you know, it's, it's still kind of difficult. Yeah. And ultimately, as you said, like the consumer behavior is not there, right? The consumers go to Shaolong Su to search for information about products and brands. They don't, you know, like to see what, how people are using the product, what people are saying about the product, not purchase you know that's not the intent of going to the platform so i think that's where obviously Tmall has a has a massive advantage over over both wechat and um well yeah. over most of the other you could see it as a branding play too because there are cases in which brands have have stores on all three platforms but they'll launch some exclusive products on wechat only because it's their own official store or they'll do like a co-branded collection with an influencer or some other brand that's only available on WeChat. Um, so you can kind of cultivate that, that sense of exclusivity, but um, it generally only works when you're, you're a little bit more well-known. Um, yeah. Not when you're, um, yeah. Mm. 
when you're first starting out. Yeah. And I think something actually um, that I think you guys were talking about the other day, because originally quite a few smaller brands would come on to WeChat for cross-border e-commerce first because they could use the um, postal route to get products in from Hong Kong rather than the, um, you know, rather than yeah. the cross-border, the traditional cross But things have changed now with COVID. They're, they're checking a lot more parcels and it's being a bit, bit trickier to do that route. Is that right? Yeah, to our knowledge, they're checking... A lot of the, I think the majority of the parcels now, before it used to be you know, like five, five or 10%. Percent, right? Yeah. And then now I think they're charged to checking most of them. Um, yeah. So basically so that's, closing uh, that, closing that yeah, route, yeah. right? Yeah. Check here, yeah. Yeah. I guess there's no surprise there with the, with the change with the Daigo and then now yeah. probably hopefully um, cruelty free, you know, uh, cruelty free itself for some products will be able to come in cruelty free and then you know slowly these different routes get closed and it gets sort of centralized into something more organized doesn't make yeah it makes there's sense, always yeah. ways around it i mean you talk to different china orders and and logistics providers and they'll come up with it but it might take longer and then the customer experience won't be as good and then you know there's, there's always different kinds of issues to, to take into consideration yeah yeah, and that's something that brands have to be aware of. The Chinese consumer is probably the fussiest, most like with the highest expectations, most yeah. customer service needed in in the world. So um, yeah, yeah, try not yeah. try not to annoy them um, because yeah. because it's uh, it's definitely not a good branding strategy. Yeah. Um, okay, so then just to finish off, would there be sort of one trend that you think um, be a beauty brand considering the China market should really look at at the moment or, or be aware of? Um, I would say that one trend that, that I'm following um, that I think doesn't get a lot of press is kind of the emergence of local Chinese brands. Um, there's been like a few articles out there, but you know, Perfect Diary is probably the most well-known ones, but there's a lot of other ones too, but they yeah. don't get a lot of press because, you know, no one's ever heard of these brands. Right. Um, so, but in my opinion, I think these local brands are doing the most innovative types of marketing tactics. You know, they're the ones that are, you know, doing co-branded partnerships with milk tea brands and museums mm -hmm. and, Mm -hmm. You know, one one brand did a co-branded uh, collection with a with a Baiju brand. Um, you know, so I mean, uh, yeah, yeah, there's a lot of other things like you know, virtual influencers, you know, private traffic groups on WeChat, and um, you know, it's crazy. These these brands they they launch so many new items within such a short period of time. Yeah. You know, like foreign brands in, in the beauty space they probably only launch new products like once a year or something. But, you know, something like Perfect Diary, they launch new products like once every quarter. Um, mm. I think in, 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 in retrospect, if you look at foreign brands that do this kind of stuff, you know, only Zara and Uniqlo come to mind. Yeah. And they've yeah. been some of the most successful foreign brands in China. But, you know, it just goes to show that's what you kind of need to do to, to keep up. Um, mm. But, um, yeah, I mean, if you're looking to do something cool and innovative, I think it's a good idea to follow... Um, what these local Chinese brands are doing, you know, they're raising lots of 
venture funding and then yeah they were definitely capturing the, i think the mid mid end of the segment segment in mm -hmm. the market in, in, in china mm -hmm. uh, yeah so i think that's that's pretty interesting yeah, definitely, definitely. I think there. I mean, as you said, Perfect Diary is something that has been talked about a lot, but there are there are plenty of others, and they're all doing interesting things that maybe foreign brands don't have. The you know, especially smaller foreign brands, that it's such a big thing to get their head around the China market and, and the ecosystems anyway. To then think about how do I create virtual influences or or um, private traffic groups or you know, like it's just. <laughs> there's just yeah. so many things to think about um but in terms of in terms of looking at um at keeping an eye on what they're doing i definitely agree i think that's um it, it'll be an interesting space to watch over the next few few years and also i think what we'll be interesting to see if if we can see a luxury chinese brand because of most of these ones that we're seeing now there are as you said they're mid-tier right yeah. they're um Sort of a couple of hundred RMB for for an eyeshadow or whatever, but yeah. um, something a luxury. I think there will be a luxury Chinese um, brand coming up, you know, that will be interesting globally as well. Yeah, yeah I, it's hard because when you think about it, I mean, you look at the luxury space um, globally, and it's still dominated by the same you know, five or six French or Italian brands yeah, out there. Yeah, and, true. you know, they take, they took, you know, 50, 60 years <laughs> to build these brands. So, you know, well, how long is it going to take to build like a local? This is know, China. Local... Everything, everything <laughs> that like shrinks down and it takes, you know, a fraction of the time. Um, so we'll right. see. We'll see. But, um, all right. Okay. Well, that was really good. And thank you very much. Um, and um, I'm, if people want to get in touch with you or hear more about what Azoya does, and as I said at the beginning, Azoya puts out a lot of great English language um, educational information about people, about e-commerce, um, cross-border e-commerce in China. So I think LinkedIn is probably the best place for people to connect with you. Yeah, I mean, if you want to reach me directly, I'm, I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, we have a website, www.azoyagroup.com, um, and there's contact information there too. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, if, if you want to reach me personally, I think it's probably uh, a good good medium to do it. Okay, great. Well, thank you very much. All right, you're welcome.